Father God, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit in the room this morning. We pray that you would clarify our minds and embolden our spirits and freshen our hearts. We pray for your ministry among us to us now. We pray, Lord, that we would leave both lighter and more powerful than we were when we showed up. In Christ's name, amen. Let's start with loosening up and get ready. Do a little heart work, roll your shoulders, give somebody a high five next to you. <clears throat> smile until it hurts. We'll smile for three seconds as big as you can. One, two, three. Yeah, that hurts. I'm not used to that at all. All right, let's start with an attitude check. How's your attitude today? Yeah, on a scale of one to five. Ten, eight, I heard a six. Two, anybody got a two? Because we'll pray for you right now. All right, let's do this kind of attitude check. How many of you are holding anything against someone? How many of you are holding anything against someone? How many of you are, how many of you are holding something against me right now? I'll just give you a moment to repent. It's cool. It's cool. How many of you are holding something against someone? That's the kind of an attitude check that Jesus uh, recommended that we do. Uh, we're coming today uh, to celebrate the Lord together, to receive together, and of course to worship the Lord together. Jesus, in his most famous moral teaching of all, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, said this. He said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Don't kill anybody. Ah, but I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So it's not that we just have to avoid killing people. We actually have to avoid uh, staying angry uh, with people. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Uh, Raka is the Aramaic word for like idiot. Everybody who is, anytime we say to someone, oh, you idiot, then... We're, uh, we're subject to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell, literally in danger of the fire of Gehenna, which was uh, the city dump in Jerusalem. So if you go around calling people fool, uh, you'll get thrown in the dump, according to Jesus. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you've come and you're worshiping God, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Okay, so now he's flipping the table a little, a little bit. If you remember that somebody has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift on the altar. So at the beginning, he's talking about, hey, if you're mad at someone, if you hold something against someone, be very careful about your attitude in that moment. Because your attitude can get murderous, even if you're... Your fists do not. And then toward the end, he flips it, and he says, and if you're like being all worshipful, and you remember that something has some, you think someone has something against you, try to take care of that. Presumably, because if you've caused someone to be angry and murderous toward you, well, that's bad, right? You're supposed to be concerned for them, and therefore you want to go help alleviate them of their murderous attitude. Does anybody feel like they have a murderous attitude this morning? 
murderous attitude. Well, it's provocative. what's provocative to me in the Jesus teaching is that it's kind of all same-same to him. You know, it's like uh, that attitude where we just we hold people in contempt. We just consider people bad. <laughs> we get angry at them. You know, that's sort of the, the foundation of, of murder in, in Jesus' mind. One of many mind-altering, sobering teachings that Jesus offers. Uh, the fact is, you're pretty awesome. You're pretty awesome. Uh, pat yourself on the back. Go ahead. Go ahead. If somebody next to you is shy, just reach over, pat them on the back. Say, yeah, you know, you're pretty awesome. You're all that. You know, you're, you're meant to not just be alive. You're meant to be full of life. Not just alive, but full of life. So turn to the person next to you and say, oh, you're full of it. <laughs> you are designed to be purposeful. I just love those stories that were shared earlier. Like, you mentioned to someone that we're exploring life purpose together, and they want in. Every human knows that they're meant to be purposeful. You are designed to be meaningful. There should be a profound sense of purpose in every day that you live. You should be gripped with a profound sense of purpose. And you should have fruitful effects, great influence wherever you are and whatever you do. But you might be experiencing a problem. You want to be a blessing to people, don't you? Don't you? You want to be a blessing to people. Go ahead, bless me right now and say, yes, yes, Jordan. Yes, Jordan. We do want to be a blessing. Yeah, well. You want to be a blessing to people, but maybe you don't feel very blessed yourself. And isn't that a problem sometimes? I mean, you want to be a blessing to people, but you don't feel very blessed. And that doesn't make it impossible to be a blessing to people, but it does make it kind of hard. You know, let, let, let's be honest. We, I mean, theoretically, we believe that we're blessed in life, that we're believed by God. Jesus has given us great love and made sacrifice for us and stuff like that. And we're alive after all. And, you know, theoretically, we're all blessed. But to feel blessed day in, day out, to feel blessed hour by hour is a bit of a battle of faith, isn't it? Does anyone ever get in a mood? Anybody? I do. I can get cranky. Oh, there weren't nearly enough gasps when I said that. No, no, even I can get cranky. I'm getting a little cranky right now. No, I, I can. Um, and if if, like me, you get into that potentially vulnerable space sometimes where you want to be a blessing, but you just don't feel very blessed. You feel that tension. You feel something, something stretching you uncomfortably. Then forgiveness might be challenging for you. And if forgiving people is challenging for you, if you're angry at them, if you are offended at people, then you can get really stuck in life you can get stuck in some pretty nasty ways that you might not even realize are going down uh, in your life. So let's back up a little bit and let's talk about forgiveness uh, this morning. <clears throat> Which is a really fun topic. Forgiveness. Um, and, and what I want to 
what I want to talk about is, is not about you getting forgiven by God, like, you know, you getting forgiven uh, for your sins. Uh, we've talked about that uh, a bit recently, and as we've discussed, that's actually the easy bit. It's actually quite easy to get forgiven for your sins in the kingdom of God, uh, and all sorts of reasons to, to, to believe this. If you, if you truly study that Old Testament sacrificial system wherein, you know, somebody would sin and then they'd, you know, go make a sin offering at the temple. Maybe they'd offer like a sheep. Um, the law said that if you were poor, you could offer a couple pigeons instead. Just sort of sacrifice to God as if to say, oh, I'm sorry, cleanse me, forgive me. And there was some mechanism for doing that. If you read closely, the Lord said, you know what, if you can't afford pigeons, you can offer a handful of cereal and I'll forgive you on that basis. So in other words, God will accept almost any gesture to forgive us. And if that weren't enough, there was a law in the Old Testament where the Israelites would, the priests every year would, uh, they perform a ceremony and create what they called a scapegoat. The priests, the head priests would lay their hands on a goat and they would say a prayer and take the guilt of the entire nation of Israel and put it on the head of that poor goat who did nothing wrong. And then send the goat out into the wilderness as sort of a symbol to saying, everything that you did wrong this year, guys, the goat is now going to carry away from us. Don't worry, celebrate, you're all good. That's pretty easy, right? Maybe not on the goat, but it's pretty easy for the rest of us God will go to great extents to make sure that we're all forgiven. All forgiven. And then, of course, if that wasn't enough, there's the whole sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You know, uh, my favorite summary statement of that is, God would rather die than let sin be a big issue between you. And if that weren't enough, Jesus tells his disciples uh, toward the end of the Gospels, he said, look, uh, whomever you forgive on earth is forgiven in heaven whomever you don't forgive on earth isn't forgiven in heaven. So, so boys, get busy. In other words, forgiveness is a ministry. It's a gift that we can do one to another. So if you're like the worst sinner here at Blue Water, and I know, I know you're not because Antonio is, but just imagine that you were the biggest sinner at Blue Water and I walked up to you and I said, uh, in Jesus' name, you're forgiven. I can do that. I can do that and you're forgiven. I don't know if you'll accept your forgiveness, but it's there for you. And that's actually the good news of the gospel, and I really like that. It's really easy to get forgiven uh, in the kingdom of God. Almost ridiculously, almost offensively easy. That's the problem with it. Uh, confession, we talked about confession recently, confessing your sins or your mistakes or confessing your embarrassing stories. That's really helpful in life, but not because you have to do it to be forgiven, but because it gets truth flowing in your life. If you speak out uh, embarrassing little things about yourself, mistakes that you've made or sins that you've committed, and if you are able to do that on a regular basis, um, that's, really, that's really healthy for you, you know, because it gets, it gets the truth flowing right? We talked about that. If you feel like you have to keep things hidden, if you have to keep secrets about yourself, then, then you may well carry around a little fear. And fear is the start of every bad thing. That's always unhealthy. Uh, and if you carry around fear, if you feel like you need to hide uh, your embarrassing bits, then maybe you misunderstand the source of your greatness. Maybe you're not clear on how this works. 
but we talked about all of that stuff. You can go listen to uh, a few recent sermons if you need clarity on that. Today, what I'm talking about is us forgiving other people, forgiving other people who have done all bad things to us, who have mistreated us in some fashion. Here's a pop quiz. Everybody get your smarts on. Pop quiz. What's the best way to get forgiven in the kingdom of God? The best way to to make sure that you get forgiven. What is it? Yeah, some smart people out there. The best way to just make sure that you get forgiven is to forgive other people. That's how it works. How many of you got it right? How many of you knew to ask for forgiveness because you got it wrong? Just kidding. Um, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 6, in what I believe is probably the most often quoted piece of scripture in all of the, all the world, all of world history, it's from the Lord's Prayer. He says, it's in your program if you don't know it, forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, our debtors. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Uh, Maybe you know it in versions. Do you guys know the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Literally, deliver us from harm, please. Um, it's, a, it's an exciting and sort of a, a sobering verse all at the same time. Forgive us our sins as we forgive other people their sins against us. Begs the question, doesn't it? How well do we do at forgiving people when they mistreat us? Forgiving people when they do wrong to us? However well we do, well, that's kind of the measure. That's the capacity that, that we ourselves have to be forgiven. I think that works out on a spiritual level. I think that kind of works out on an emotional and a psychological level uh, as well. This actually was one of Jesus' favorite topics. He talked about this all the time, the importance of being forgiving, the importance of mercy. Uh, My favorite quote on it might actually come from Matthew 9, where Jesus is in one of his many debates with the religious experts of his day. Uh, And and, uh, they're arguing over whether or not it's appropriate for Jesus to hang out with sinners. And not just hang out with sinners, but to hang out with sinners who are unrepentant sinners. These are are people who are sinning and not apologizing for it. But Jesus is, is literally partying with those people. And the religious experts, the religious leaders of the day get very offended by Jesus's behavior. And Jesus says to them, go find out what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. And what he's doing there is he's quoting from Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he's saying is, look, religious leaders, look, religious experts, uh, God is not interested in all of your fancy sacrifices, and he's not interested in you getting everything right and crossing every T and dotting every I. What this is really about, people, is mercy. This is really about 
God forgiving you, you forgiving others, everybody forgiving one another. That's what makes this work. And then he said, I came not to call the righteous, but the sick. If God is all about mercy, then we need to prioritize these, the people who need mercy most, the worst sinners, the most unrepentant people. Jesus in, inverted religious logic. He says it more pointedly in, uh, in Luke chapter 6, in a different version of the Sermon on the Mount teaching. Uh, he says, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Don't judge, and you won't be judged. Simple. And it is. It's really simple. It's just, it's just often hard, isn't it? It's just hard to forgive people when they forgive you. Uh, it's great when we say to God, hey God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Do that. That's awesome. It keeps the air between you and God really clear. It exercises truth in your life, and that's tremendously help, helpful, tremendously healthy. Uh, and, and dang it, we, we should apologize to God fairly frequently because we mess up fairly frequently, and that's only, that's only right that we should do it. But if you're stuck in patterns of sin yourself, if you have behaviors that you just can't get free from, you know, or patterns of feeling, of bad feelings that you can't get free from, maybe you're locked in some sort of addiction, maybe it has to do with chemicals, maybe it has to do with porn, maybe it has to do with, I don't know, eating or some, some coping behavior. Or if you're locked in, in bad feelings, you struggle with anger, you struggle with depression, whatever it is, then I would like to suggest that perhaps unforgiveness in your heart might be the issue. Unforgiveness gets you stuck in a way that even sin itself doesn't always get you stuck. Forgiveness is is the grease of the gears of the kingdom of God, as, as Jesus says. It's like, if you forgive people, then the kingdom will flow through your life really easy. You'll, you won't get stuck. You won't get hung up on your sins or anyone else's. Now, I think it's fairly easy to forgive someone who apologizes to me. I think it's fairly easy to forgive someone who repents. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I really treated you with disrespect, or I overlooked you, or I neglected you, or I lied about you, I tried to hurt you, whatever it is. Uh, if someone apologizes to me, I'm a nice guy. I've been at this a while. I'm super spiritual. So I can, I can forgive that. I think it's harder to forgive someone who mistreats me and doesn't apologize. I think that's a little bit harder. Anybody agree with me? Yeah? And that happens a lot, right? Somebody treats you with contempt, somebody mistreats you and, and doesn't apologize, maybe doesn't even really register it. And what I want to do is I want to make them notice first and then forgive them. Uh, so that's a little more complicated. I think it's really hard to forgive someone who mistreats me and doesn't think they've done anything wrong. It's not that they don't notice it. It's not that they don't apologize for it. But they just don't see a problem with it. They just mow me down or they treat me like I'm second class and feel good about treating me like I'm second class. 
Is this registering with anyone? I've had some experiences like this. Have you? That makes it extra, extra hard uh, to forgive people when they treat me like that. Uh, and I've had those experiences. You know, I've had those experiences in, in, in close relationships where people just decide suddenly that I'm, I'm just not worth it. And they betray. I've had those experiences in workplaces. Have you, ever, have you ever lost a job because someone decided to lie about you and make you take the blame for something that you didn't do? Anybody? I have. It sucks. And it's hard to forgive in those sorts of situations. I've even had that happen in churches uh, where church leaders have just decided to disrespect me and disown me and kick me out for nothing that I did wrong but because it was convenient. And I, and I call that experience an experience of contempt. It's where someone just like totally mistreats you but acts as if it's justified. All right, mostly to cover their own backside. C-Y-B. Cover their backside. See, I'm not going to cuss in sermons. I'm not going to say ass. Uh, and the spirit of contempt, that really is a spirit of murder. Have you ever felt like that? Somebody mistreats you with contempt and, and you want to scream bloody murder, don't you? You, you can tell what Jesus uh, was talking about. Um, I've had experiences of that sort of, uh, of mistreatment, lying, betrayal, and injustice. I've had experiences that have really shaped the circumstances of my life, that, that have really disrupted my life in practical ways, you know, going to my ability to make a, a living or my reputation in, in the larger community. Or, or something like that. I've experienced a degree of misery because people have mistreated me. We're not talking about when somebody cuts you off in traffic. That's a, that's a small degree of misery. We're talking about when somebody truly victimizes you in an unjust way. And, and I know that there are people here who have experienced even worse than I have, people who have been truly abused, attacked, traumatized, raped, cast aside, unfairly imprisoned. We got it all some serious stuff. It's really, really hard to forgive people who treat you like that, but that's not the hardest. That is still not the hardest. Here's the hardest. When people mistreat you, don't think they've done anything wrong, and get rewarded for it. When people mistreat you, use you, abuse you, dismiss you as a matter of convenience, wreck your life, and are better off in their life because they've mistreated you. And the thing that makes that hard is, one, I don't like to see people get rewarded for mistreating me, and two, it seems like God himself is against me at that point. Because why should somebody treat me with rank injustice and then have a good life and get benefit out of it. Okay, that really makes me angry. That really upsets me. And maybe some of you have experienced that. It's like, I, I would forgive you, but you don't recognize you did anything wrong. You treat me with contempt. You're not repentant. And your life is a lot better than mine. So 
why should I go out of my way to mistreat you? Just say uh, amen if you know what I'm talking about. Well, mistreating someone who treats you with contempt is exactly the sort of forgiveness that Jesus talks about most. Dang it, you knew it, didn't you? That's the one that he talks about most. There's a passage from uh, the sixth chapter of Luke on the back of your program. And I think Jesus talks about this most because this is where we can get the most hung up. This is where we can do the most damage to ourselves or where Satan can get in and do the most damage to us. Jesus is talking about how uh, the common wisdom says, if people treat you well, treat them well. If they treat you poorly, treat them poorly. In other words, be a person of quote-unquote justice, of equitability. But to you who are listening, Jesus is saying, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. We quote that so often, I think we fail to recognize how stinking revolutionary it is. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, who treat you with contempt, who victimize you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. That is downright un-American. What Jesus is saying here, and I try, to, I try to phrase things in a real way that would strike us. Jesus is saying here, get taken advantage of. Now that really sounds un-American, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be forgiven, but take advantage of me? Okay, that's, that's unjust. That violates my, here it is, rights. And Jesus is saying, oh yeah, yeah, you got to be willing to get taken advantage of. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. What he's talking about is Roman bullies. Remember, the Jews were occupied by the Romans at the time, and so a Roman soldier would come by and say, hey, I like that coat, give it to me. And just kind of lord it over you because they were the military power. You know, it's like getting abused by the cops. And, and Jesus said, well, if they take your coat, offer them your shirt as well. Get taken advantage of. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Dang it, this sucks. There's just not a lot of wiggle room in these verses. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That's normal. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. You're going to get rewarded for this sort of behavior. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. 
Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you can pull off forgiveness, if you can pull off great forgiveness, if you can pull off forgiveness even for those people who mistreat you with contempt, do not repent, and seemingly get rewarded for what they do to you, then your reward will be great. It will increase the measure that God will give to you. Okay, that sounds a little bit comforting, but still kind of hard. What it requires is that we think a lot about eternal rewards rather than justice in worldly courts. How many of you knew this passage? Challenging passage, uh, but it's a, a fairly common one for Christians to know. Just kind of hard to do. Just kind of hard to do. That's the reward side of it. God will reward you if you are merciful. And the more merciful you are, the more you get rewarded. That's the measure. Mercy, forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. Get it so far? But unforgiveness, if you fail to pull that off, what, happened to you if, what happens to you if you don't forgive? What happens to you if you can't let it go? Uh, well, you might not get forgiven yourself because uh, Scripture says the measure you use will be the measure you get. You know, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Well, if you pray that and you don't forgive people, then perhaps you're tempting God to hold something against you. I mean, that's, that's a little bit scary. Forgiveness is ridiculously easy in the kingdom of God, but one thing that could screw it up is unforgiveness in your heart, according to Scripture. So that's part of it. That's part of it, and that itself is very uh, sobering. Um, I think this is an issue that has to do with eternity. Like if you're following Jesus, you want to get into eternity, but you are not a forgiving person, then God might not let you into eternity because what will happen is that you'll hurt the other people there. Eternity is a place of ultimate mercy and grace, right? It's not your sin that keeps you out. It's the way that you hold other people's sin against them. Just to be simplistic about it, and that is kind of simplistic, but point made. But besides that, you might get kind of sick. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you might make yourself sick uh, in this world. In a nutshell, I'd say, trying to satisfy your own craving for personal justice causes you to live in a little courtroom in your head. Do you ever get in the situation where you get really mad at somebody, somebody has mistreated you, it's been going on for a while, and you find yourself laying in bed at night kind of playing scenarios in your head in which you are proving to them what a moron they are? You ever get into that situation? It's a very common uh, human experience. Well, you're doing that, like I call that, I call that the little courtroom in your head. And some of us have a courtroom in our heart. Some of us have a little version of, of ourselves who is just playing the victim inside our heart all the time. You know? Um, and that person can get very demanding. That person can start screwing with your life if you let that person run around in your heart uh, a lot. You can get angry. You can get depressed. 
Why? Well, because that person's not getting satisfied, right? You're craving justice. You know, you're trying to be nice, but there's part of you that's just, that dirty so-and-so. And what that does is it wears on your psyche, and then you know, anger starts popping out of you during the day, or you get depressed, and if it goes on long enough, you might even forget why you're depressed. Or you might do indulgent behaviors, right? You might indulge in things that you know full well are wrong, or you know full well are not healthy for you, but you're going to indulge in them anyway. Why? Because, dang it, you deserve it. Somebody owes you something, and so what you're going to do is indulge yourself because they're not doing it, no one else is doing it, God's not doing it, so I deserve whatever the sin of the day is for you. And you can get stuck in patterns when you do that because sin is always uh, addictive. Um, you might, if you have a little person in you craving injustice and not letting it go, uh, you might do crazy things like you might forbid yourself to ever be happy. Because if you got happy, that would be like kind of admitting that your craving for justice doesn't matter. Right? So you prevent yourself from being happy in order to kind of point to the grievance that you have. Are you understanding this? Or um, you might uh, prevent yourself from ever being sad uh, for, for, uh, for the same reason. I'm not going to indulge in sadness because you know what? No one else cares about my sadness. No one else cares about my grief, obviously, because this injustice happened to me. God doesn't care, and so I'm not going to care about how I feel. And, of course, that twists us. Is any of this resonating with anybody? Yeah, it happens a lot. Forgive, unforgiveness is maybe like the most toxic of spiritual addictions. It can really haunt you, which is why Jesus talked about it so much. It can cause damage in so many different ways. Okay, so it begs the question, how do we go about forgiving uh, people who mistreat us or forgiving situations in which we have experienced injustice? Uh, first of all, I would say forgiving someone is different than trusting someone, right? I mean, you'd be kind of unwise to trust someone who constantly abuses you. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying be willing to get taken advantage of um, but it's not like you're just stupidly trusting, right? Um, you know that somebody is going to abuse you. Maybe you know that somebody is going to abuse your family. Um, you might want to manage that situation uh, so that less harm is done uh, rather, rather than more. But just don't, don't be a judgmental person. Be a wise person but not a judgmental person. Does that make sense? You don't have to pretend like nothing wrong is happening in order to be forgiving. You just have to forgive the wrong that happened. I hope that's clear. That can be an important point. But if I had to define what goes into forgiving someone in a good way, I'd say that you have to give up the right to do anything to the offender. You know, what would you do to the offender? Well, you know, you have to give up the right to punch the offender. Uh, in the nose. Okay, that's an obvious one. You have to give up uh, the right to, uh, to criticize the offender 
in, in private conversation with people. You have to give up the right to ask God to penalize the offender uh, for whatever he or she did to you. You have to give up the right for judgment. You have to give up the right for, for uh, pursuing penalty. That, that's, really, that's really what letting it go is about. When Jesus was hanging on the cross on the last day of his earthly life, hanging there, he had been tortured through the night, he had been beaten, he had been spit on, he had been stripped naked and hung publicly on an instrument of death. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now that's just crazy. I mean, they're like professional torturers and professional executioners were torturing and executing him. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing. But somehow in Jesus' mind, he's like, yeah, but they don't realize the full repercussions of what, look, God, they're just stupid humans. Let's just, let's let this one slide. And that was Jesus in his dying breaths saying that. It's like, yeah, it's okay, guys. Uh, don't worry about it. As he was being mocked, dying, uh, and, and naked. That's, uh, that's letting it go. That's giving up the right to retribution of any sort. Um, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say, I forgive you. Try it. It's just a little harder to do the thorough work of, of forgiveness. So here are, some, here are some tips for making it thorough. Number one, talk through the issue with, I would say, one person or one or two people, you know, and just talk it through thoroughly. Uh, you sit down with someone that is wise, someone that you trust. Uh, we have people at the church, your Ohana group leaders, uh, make an appointment with our Soto ministry team where they specialize in things like this, this helping people, letting it go and move on at a heart level. And just talk through the situation. Look, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this publicly, but here's a situation in which someone really mistreated me and it really hurt and I think I'm really hung up on it. Get it out. Get it out of that courtroom inside of you and get it into a conversation with someone who knows what to do, who understands the serious work of forgiveness. If you don't get it all out in a good conversation, then it will leak out in conversations all the time, usually in critical bursts. So just, blah, get it out, unburden yourself. And then what you will discover uh, through the ministry of that person is that God appreciates what you went through. And more than that, he really appreciates the work of forgiveness that you're doing. And if you remember nothing else that I say this morning, remember that bit. When you work hard to forgive somebody, particularly somebody who doesn't deserve it, that is the work of the kingdom. That makes you, as Jesus said, a child of God, a chip off the old block. And you get all the rewards that come with that. Anyone who was wrongly tortured to death understands your hard work of forgiveness. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews that we don't have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our situations. Jesus knows what it's like to be mistreated. 
Jesus' family disowned him, thought he was crazy, and then his own people killed him. His best friends abandoned him at his most desperate moment. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the depths of his despair. He understands what it's like to feel mistreated. But even in that moment, he said, Ah, Lord, let it slide. Let's just forgive them. I'm on to other things. That's, that's high faith right there. God appreciates any work of forgiveness that you do. And that will be part of the ministry that helps you get over it, that helps you let it go so that you don't get really, really sick. You have to develop a habit of forgiveness. You might try what I do sometimes. I call it a 40-day forgiveness fast. For 40 days in my morning prayers, I say to the Lord, Hey, God, I really pray that you bless so-and-so today. You know, and that so-and-so will be the dirty so-and-so who recently mistreated me. But I don't say that. I don't say that. You know, for 40 days, I say it like, you know, just bless, bless that person. Uh, you know, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who harm you. I've even figured out ways when somebody has really mistreated me to bless them secretly, like to leave them little gifts or arrange little blessings anonymously right? Stuff like that. So that I get to feel morally superior. No, 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 that's not it. So that, so that, you know, what I'm doing is developing a habit. I'm just kind of laying tracks so that forgiveness can flow really well in my life. And it's like calisthenics for me, right? It's like, well, you know, any one gesture might not really seem like it counts for a lot, but I'm getting in shape. I'm getting in forgiveness shape. And so little rituals like that, speaking forgiveness for 40 days or something, they can be really, really helpful. Diagnose yourself regularly as well. For instance, if you're too passionate about, about avoiding the appearance of certain mistakes yourself, then you might need to forgive someone for something related to that sort of mistake. Anybody like this, you do something wrong, and then you're like, oh, I'm so stupid, stupid, stupid. Anybody? Right? Usually men are like that. Any men in here? Yeah, nobody's responding to me at all about anything at this point. But you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. When you get like that, you know, you, you panic when you think that you do something wrong or might be perceived by someone else having done something wrong. It's like, no, 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 you can't get offended at me. Right? If you're like that, you might have an issue. Right? One thing that makes us like that is that we're kind of holding something against someone else. Uh, so that's the sort of diagnosis that, that you might do if you're afraid of making mistakes. You might be trying to prove yourself against old accusations that somebody made against you. Maybe even in your childhood or something. I mean, it gets crazy. So deal with it. Get it out. Develop a habit of forgiveness. And just let the Lord walk with you in that area. Finally, what if you need to forgive God? Um, somebody has mistreated me. They don't recognize it. They get benefit out of it. 
and God just seems to pile more blessing on that person. I can get angry at God in those instances. Now, it is illogical to get angry at God because if there's a God worthy of being called God, I'm probably in no position to judge him. But emotions are crazy things. And the Bible is filled with instances like this, particularly in the old prophetic books, uh, you know, the books like Habakkuk. Um, Why do the wicked prosper? Or how long, Lord, will the wicked go unpunished? I sympathize with those prayers because when you get hurt by wickedness, you crave justice and you want God to do something about it. But Jesus is like, Father, bless the enemies I have. Bless these fine enemies of mine. I know it looks like they're trying to kill me, God, but could you just let it go this time? That's godly attitude. And if we manage to mimic that attitude, God blesses us. It's not fair, though, you say, uh, to which I would reply, I know, I know. And I just want to speak to you as a brother who walks the same walk. Oh, I know it's not fair. I know. You know? I, I know what it's like to be uh, betrayed by someone you really, really loved. I know, like, I know. I know what it's like to be lied about, to have everybody think ill of you, even though you didn't do anything wrong. Or maybe because you did a little something wrong, but they didn't make just a huge deal about it. I know what that's like. It's not fair. It's not fair. I know what it's like to like, live great stretches of life in which you feel uh, you're the victim of unfairness. I completely know. I completely know. And there are people around you who know it at least as well as I know it. I know it. But let me just cut through the fog and say, God can bless you anyway. Even though it's not fair, God can bless you anyway. And our spiritual discipline is to let that be enough. I want to achieve for our community what I call a state of grace. A state of grace in which when people offend you, it just rolls off you like water off a duck's back. A state of grace in which when you actually do something wrong, you can ask for forgiveness and just let it go. Not accuse yourself. Not get wrapped around the axle because you've made mistakes. And the state of grace is the state in which people are free and in which miracles happen and people thrive and we get released into our purpose in which the circumstances of our life really don't determine the course of our life as much as you might think. Let's pray. Father, I pray for a work of mercy this morning. I pray that you would empower your children to let it go. I pray that you would visit us with a state of grace. Would you rather be right, justified, or would you rather be free and powerful? You choose.
And if you choose mercy, be assured that you are doing the hard work of heaven. Be assured that in that moment, more than in any other, you are being a child of the Most High. You are doing the sort of work that set the earth in motion. God recognizes it. And he will bless you for it. Let's worry less about how much our victimizers get, get blessed. And let's just receive instead the unique blessings that the Lord gives us. In Christ's name, amen.